Welcome to Follow the Medical Record, where healthcare experts give insights into the increasing importance of following a patient's medical record through the health ecosystem with compliance, privacy, security, and efficiency front and center. This podcast is brought to you by MRO and hosted by Don Hardwick, Senior Vice President of Client Relations at MRO. Don has been in the health information management industry for over 40 years and has extensive knowledge of how medical records make their way through the healthcare ecosystem. At MRO, Don is responsible for strategic client engagement programs and overall client satisfaction. To hear from all of MRO's industry experts, be sure to visit MROCorp.com for additional content and to sign up for our monthly e-newsletter. Over to you, Don. And welcome to another insightful session as we follow the medical record. I'm your host, Don Hardwicks, and thanks for listening in today. You can learn more about MRO on our website at MROCORP.com. And if you get a chance, please connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter at MROCORP. We have a familiar guest with us again today, Rita Bowen, who's very well known in the field of HIM. Rita is MRO's Vice President of Privacy Compliance and HIM Policy and has many years of experience in the HIM space. She's an industry-respected author, speaker, and past president of the American Health Information Management Association, also known as A-H-I-M-A. So Rita, thanks again for being back on the show. You're most welcome, Don. Rita, there seems to be several legislative issues going on right now. One is dealing with uh, NPRM's proposed changes that affect HIPAA that came out many years ago. Uh, A second item for discussion today is dealing with substance use disorder. And a third item that is being talked about uh, legislatively is the additional protections around reproductive health records. So let's start with the first one that perhaps is broadly affecting the medical industry and uh, more uh, about the actual involvement of the medical record itself, which is the primary theme of our show. So tell us a little bit about the NPRM, which is the Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, and how the the change or the delay from 2021 is surfacing now that's going to affect HIPAA. Okay, Don, that's a good question. Um, It is surfacing now because the initial response to that Notice of proposed rulemaking um, was provided in May of 2021, and we didn't hear anything. And primarily, we probably didn't hear anything for a while because we were in the middle of a pandemic, you know, so that nobody really had their heads up about this and where they were trying to figure out how we were moving forward. But in the course of two years, a lot of things have changed. So one of the initi- issues is that they have to place the information on the unified agenda just as, as a holding place to say it will be addressed. So it's on the, it was on the unified agenda last fall, wasn't addressed. It's on the unified agenda now, which says maybe by March of 2023. I purposely think that's just a holding place 
uh, because there are other priorities there now that have surfaced because of uh, situations in our environment um, that are taking precedence over that. There are certain things in the privacy rule that I think probably are going to happen. I think it will be finalized in some form at some point, but I don't think it will go as far as what was originally proposed because there were too many conflicts uh, with other rules. So, for example, in the proposed HIPAA language, there was conflicts with interoperability. And if if I was a betting person, and sometimes I am, um, I would say interoperability is going to trump the changes that were proposed in um, the notice proposed rulemaking for HIPAA because interoperability is paramount and everyone is insistent that this is going to work because there's just too much uh, riding on our economic flow and for the improvement of healthcare for our citizens um, that this has got to move forward. So again, we're going to watch it. We'll continue speaking to it every time we have an opportunity. I'll be in D.C. next week, again, meeting with different um Hill staffers and representatives and some senators to say, you know, here, here's our concerns. Uh, please do not let this move forward um, because it presents conflict that could be dangerous to interoperability and other components that are currently under investigation and review. So interoperability, Rita, if you can, it, it, I know it's a very complex issue, but can you boil it down for our listeners? Uh, of the main points of interoperability and how it affects both two things. One is patients and patient care. And second to that is the exchange between facilities or the hospital provider itself. Surely. Um, the interoperability rule basically is directly opposite of HIPAA. Interoperability rule set states, if you can share health information for continuity of care with the next level of care or with the payer, then you must share that information. So it's a must situation unless you uh, can validate that you need to apply an exception. And there's only eight exceptions and they're very specific and prescribed. And you have to document every component of those exceptions if you're going to use it. And you can't say, oh, I've reviewed this one time and I'm going to apply this exception every time. It has to be applied case by case. So it's got to be unique to that situation because things are constantly evolving. Now, I mentioned that things have changed since then with interoperability. One of the things that the original HIPAA rule that came out like right at the very beginning of 2021 didn't really address and change was the uh, issues with substance abuse records, CFR 42. So there was recently a notice proposed rulemaking to change that rule. And what that did was to allow for information to be shared unless you, the patient specifically objects and it's documented accordingly, but it would be allowing it to flow for um the health information exchangers or those quality health information networks so that if it's for healthcare purposes, 
to better the care of the patient, it could flow and be utilized. Whereas that was not covered in HIPAA. The fentanyl crisis that we have in the United States right uh, right now, you know, was known, but it's more exploded in the last two years. So the need to have this ability to effectively treat individuals is so important. And um, there's, you know, certain individuals, certain states that are more um, for this in at HIMSS year before last, um, representatives from West Virginia shared that they had a patient who had been um, addicted to, to fentanyl and they had to have outpatient surgery. And they, they were so careful. They said, please make sure they know not to give me that fentanyl. And the information because of the current regulations that protects and restricts the ability to allow this information to be shared didn't go. And the young individual received fentanyl and later got hooked again and killed themselves. So those are the kind of stories that are pushing the emphasis behind the substance abuse. And we responded in kind that we are we're in favor of this, that it shouldn't be an all in all restriction if the patient allows it and they have to verbalize the restriction if they do not want that information to flow. So hopefully that will um, pass. The comments were given at the end of um, January, January 31st is when we submitted those comments. So I'm hearing that they're going to fast track that one fairly quickly uh, just because it will enhance the ability for information to flow for interoperability. Rita, is that going to change also the regular authorizations that patients fill out for normal disclosure of information? Don't know until we see the final um, publication in the Federal Register. What we saw was the proposal. It appeared that the proposal was focused to continuity of care. Um, so it looks like it would fall under that TPO window only, but um, we, that would remain to be seen. Um, I think the fact that they're saying that the patient would specifically need to call out the exception for that flow um, indicates that they would still need to specifically call it out to be allowed uh, to be shared with a third or fourth party, specifically that, employers. I got gotcha. you. That, that, okay. actually, that actually yeah. makes makes sense. Uh, Rita, there's the, the third item on here, and I appreciate you covering the, those other two items. The third item that's received a lot of attention uh, and is being addressed by many of the states is the additional protections around reproductive health records. Uh, what's the current status and, and what are some of the states doing to address this? Well, as you know, when the Dobbs decision was reversed, um, it did cause quite the stir uh, across the, the country. And that is another area that was not addressed in the original HIPAA. So that's why we're saying these new rules really negate the need for any change because that didn't even address these concerns. So what we're seeing, there's four states, I believe it's, and I'm going straight by memory here, I think it's Connecticut, Delaware, um, in New Jersey and one other state that has already passed rulings for the protection of this information. And what what it's really saying is if if a person from a state where abortion is not allowed, 
under you know any circumstances or after so many weeks travels to a state that does allow it the the information is to be protected so that someone from that their home state could not get that information and weaponize it against the individual so like um new jersey refers to the in their rule that information cannot be shared about um, uh, reproductive health to law enforcement so you were only guarding it there for law enforcement issues so that they couldn't use it to weaponize or go after an individual that has had a reproductive health uh, service or termination. Some states say, no, reproductive health records have to be specifically called out if they're to be released. So kind of like the substance abuse, they're making the patient say, I do acknowledge that I have these records and you may release them. Um, so we're seeing differences and even to what reproductive health records means. Um, it, I know when I first started talking about this, I would say women's reproductive rights and somebody said, whoa, stop, you can't say that. And I went, well, isn't that what we're talking about? <laughs> but some states don't specifically call that out. They say reproductive rights. So does that mean if a man has a vasectomy? That question's not answered. So we have to figure out what, what it means. So there's four states that currently have passed, two that are percolating, Colorado and I believe California, and um, 22 other state regulations are discussing it now. This has probably risen to the federal review because if there's four and there's 22 more and that are looking and that would create a patchwork of state laws that would make it impossible to share information across state lines. So it the um, the OMB, which is the Office of Management and Budget, which always gets rules first before that they ever go over to um, to be released for comment has this reproductive rule right now. The OMB has it. It has not been released to be published in the Federal Register yet. We are anxiously awaiting to see what's going to be in this rule and how it will have a downstream effect. They did allow for us to have comments um, to, to uh, OIRA, which is another division that will receive information and filter it to OMB before it goes to information goes to the Federal Register. And we did take an opportunity to meet with them to discuss some of our concerns. Now, the concerns that we have is that you need to pass a federal law because this patchwork of state laws that might be differing would make it very, very hard on the on the release of information um, industry. It would make it hard for information to be shared through a, a QHIN or a a network, and many of the large hospital systems now cross state lines. So we feel like it would be a burden to them to not have one uh, unified rule on this topic. So again, this will be one we watch very carefully. We will respond, and I'm sure, Don, we will get something out to our customer um, uh, customers to assure that they know our stance on this and make them aware of it when it's finally in the Federal Register. register. Rita, I, I'm having a I'm having a sneaking suspicion that you're going to be back on the show here. 
uh, too much longer when these, you know, the definition uh, of reproductive health record um, in general is going to be so hard to define in terms of uh, legislative direction that you're right, it can't be left up to the individual states or you're going to get so many variations to that definition. So I, I think the, the on the federal level is going to be the requirement and, you know, something that all the states will have to adhere to at that point. Right. So, so as these things uh, mature, Rita, <laughs> I appreciate you being on the show. And I'm always know happy to do it. I love to talk, as you well know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it, uh, Rita. I appreciate you being on here, and I know we'll have you back. So I want to thank you again for being on the show today, and um, and your insight here is very valuable to our listeners. So thank you very much, Rita. You're most welcome. For more insights on a patient's medical record through the healthcare system, visit the show's page on MROCORP.com and be sure to explore our additional resources and thought leadership on our website. You can also check us out on the program called healthcarenowradio.com. Finally, be sure to connect with us on Twitter at MROCORP. Until we talk again, I'm your host, Don Hardwick.